Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I was excited as I came into the auditorium, the worship center this morning, began to uh, visit with people, and they already had their Bibles open, and they had their notes out, and that tells me that you're coming uh, to hear the Word of God this morning, and that's exactly what we want to get into right now. Galatians chapter 1, last week we began this, this preaching verse by verse through the book of Galatians, and we covered one verse. Today, I think we're going to do a little better job of covering a few more verses, but I want you to stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read together from Galatians chapter 1. We will go ahead and read the first verse, even though we covered it last week. Uh, We're going to go ahead and read that, and we're going to read down through uh, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, it's over in in the latter portion of your Bible in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's writings. Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Aren't you glad he put that in there? And all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As you have said before, and so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You can be seated. To write a letter is one of the most personal things you will ever do. You are able by means of that letter to actually reveal your soul to another individual. Jennifer and I last night went to a Um, somewhat of a marriage enrichment retreat. It was held down in Port Charlotte, uh, put on by some folks out of Michigan, and and we enjoyed our time together with a couple of other friends, couples. Uh, We went down and and enjoyed about a two-hour tune-up session on our marriage. You know, sometimes you need those things. Uh, In fact, I would tell you I need them more than she does because I become distracted with the the daily things of life and forget what a blessing my precious wife is. And if you're a female in here and married, you should say amen at that point. <laughs> but uh, for a man to admit that is, is almost miracle kind of situation. But I, uh, yeah, I knew I'd get an amen there. <laughs> I think oftentimes it is, it is good for a husband as well as a wife to write not only your spouse a letter, 
and to say in those words that you write how you feel, but it's also good for us to do that with our children. When Jennifer and I got married almost 14 years ago, after losing our spouses, we put together five children. One of those children was her oldest. His name is Daniel. And Daniel was 16 when he entered into to our family, into our household, and he did not want to come. In fact, he did everything possible not to come. We struggled greatly, and for the first probably four to five years of that marriage and of that joining of those children, Daniel would not even speak to me. It was one of those things that he would not even acknowledge my presence. It wasn't so much that he hated me. He would hate anyone who he viewed as taking his father's place. His father was a wonderful preacher of the gospel and great communicator, and he was bigger than life, and pastored a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and for Daniel, he was his hero, and rightly so. But it was very difficult during those early years of marriage, not so much between her and I, but between me and them. And the same could be said for Jennifer, because my youngest, who is now 23, had a heart condition, still does have a heart condition. He's a very, very, uh, a very high demanding young man, even though now he is, he is doing great, he is doing well. He watched his mother actually pass at the age of eight. And so there were a lot of things there that as I began to try to figure out how am I going to father two boys that aren't even biologically mine and really don't want me in their lives. And I learned the art of writing letters and emails and simple little notes. And for every day in those five or six years, I began to write notes to Daniel letters, trusting that God had a future for this young man, believing and knowing that God was in charge. And even though he might not recognize my words, he might tear those letters up. He might rip those emails up. He might take those text messages and delete them. I took the chance that somehow maybe one or two of those might speak to his heart. It was not until a few years ago after his own mother went through uh, the battle of cancer. You say, man, you guys have a lot of problems. Life's that way, isn't it? But with God, all things are possible, ladies and gentlemen. We were celebrating our 10 years of marriage, and, and, and Daniel wrote his mother and myself about an 18-page mini-book it was one of those glorious days, and it was one of those days that I will never forget. We had gone out to Spokane where he was going to school, and he took me into his and his wife's bedroom. They had just had Piper Jane, our, our little baby granddaughter who's now uh, going on three. 
And he said, Alan, you remember those notes? Remember those emails? He said, I didn't save the text. But he opened up a container, and there was every note I had ever written that kid. And he said, while I could not acknowledge those notes or those emails in the way that you probably wanted me to, I have watched you. I have watched you care for my mother. I've watched you journey your way through cancer with her and love her and support her and even support me. I love you, Dad. Now, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, yeah. The only reason I, not, I don't want to stand here and go, I'm the model dad, because I'm not. I make all kinds of mistakes being a father. I mean, it's, it's a tough role. Still is. Just because they get old doesn't mean they get easy. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Paul, when he wrote this letter, even though he was mad, I've got a good friend that says, Galatians is Romans mad. Paul loved the Galatian believers. I've said this to you, and I want you to know from my heart, as your transitional pastor, I love this church. I, I don't love this building. I, it's a great building, but that's not what I love. I love you. I love you. And every chance I get to be with you, I want to be with you because I want us to study God's Word. I want you to have such a love for the Word of God, it will change you from the inside out. Now, here's what happens. I think Paul, in his writing this letter, I, I believe this letter is so special because they not this letter not only reveals his heart, but it reveals the heart of God as well. It is a joy to be able to read the letters of Paul. I'm always encouraged. I read in the letter of Ephesians. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Then I pick up Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you and making my prayer with joy. So the letters of the Apostle Paul are love letters. They reveal the heart of God, and they are a delight to read. But when you pick up this particular letter, even though it is a love letter, there is a different atmosphere altogether, ladies and gentlemen. From the very outset, you will observe that Paul is troubled. He is very angry. He is deeply agitated. Something is wrong. This letter is like a sword in the hands of Paul. It's as if something that is very dear to Paul is under attack, and Paul wheels into battle. And what is the problem in this particular letter? Paul is actually dealing with what I would call the problem of pollution. The problem of pollution. We're familiar with problems of pollution uh, in our streams, problems of pollution in our air, in our atmosphere. But Paul is dealing with a much more severe pollution problem. He is touching on the matter of gospel pollution. Paul made it crystal clear that the gospel what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And, and Paul, it is Paul who writes into the words of men God's wonderful gospel that has been revealed to us from heaven. 
Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Hello? It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul had preached the gospel, this gospel, to these Galatian believers. Shortly after his departure, false teachers had come in. They were called Judaizers, and they had said Paul's gospel was not an adequate gospel. That was the term they used. They were saying that in order to be saved, you not only had to have faith in Jesus Christ, but you also had to work and earn and merit your way to salvation. So the clear waters of the gospel were being polluted by the poison of a works salvation. The pure atmosphere of the grace of Jesus Christ was being polluted by the smog of the law. And so Paul is writing in this letter to set forth once again, what is the Christian faith all about? What is it all about? He is showing us in this book exactly how a person can get to heaven and how you can live the Christian life after you come to know Jesus as your Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, heaven is not all there is to the Christian life. It's going to be a wonderful climax. But listen, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wasn't talking about heaven. Y'all are looking at me like calves at new gates right now. You're, huh? Yeah. Jesus wants us to live abundantly right now. I mean, some of us walk around like, oh, it's the end of the world. The sky is falling today. No, it's a great day. It's a great day to be alive. It's a great day to be able to share a witness. And so in the providence and in the purpose of God, the Holy Spirit has chosen to reveal to us and to leave us these words of Paul. And in so doing, he has given us this book, which is the Magna Carta of the, of the spiritual life. He has given to us the book of Galatians, the very essence of what it means to live for Jesus. Now, in these opening verses of this letter this morning, I would tell you that last week I did an introduction, and this week I'm going to conclude that introduction. But this is how Paul begins his letter. There are actually two parts to this introduction this morning. First of all, there's that defensive salutation. There is, in these opening words of hello, in writing this letter, Paul is defending not only his message, but he is defending his ministry as well. There's some folks who were saying that Paul was not a real apostle. We talked about that last week. They said he was not genuine because he was not one of the, the 12. And so Paul, at the very outset of this letter, as we talked about last week, he said, Paul, an apostle, and the word there uh, really means to send forth, or our word would be the word messenger or missionary, but it's a very strong word. It is used several times in seven, several different ways in the New Testament. Sometimes it is used even in reference of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Hebrews says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle, there's that apostolus, and high priest of our confession. Sometime it is used in a more wide sense to refer to a messenger who is sent from God to preach the gospel. But normally in the Bible, 
when the word apostle is used, it is, it is used to refer to those 12 who had specifically been chosen by God to reveal the good news of salvation to men. Paul maintains in his letters that he is one of those apostles, and I believe he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders, and we talked about that last week, and mighty works. Then in 1 Corinthians 9, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? This is Paul. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Paul is saying, I want you to know, I have a divine call of God to be an apostle. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, not through the agency of man. What he is claiming here very quickly in review is that his ministry was not due to a group of men, nor any single man, but that his call of God to preach came directly from heaven. Acts chapter 9, when you look at that, and, and we did last week, and I'm not going to go over it again, I want to say to you that I believe from the depths of my heart that every man who would preach the gospel must be divinely called of God. Yeah, some of you are wondering about that statement. Because, see, you think that what the church needs is a CEO or a leader. And First Baptist, I want you to hear my heart heart today. You don't need a CEO. You need a leader. A pastor is a leader, but you need a pastor. You need someone who is divinely called of God to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season. I believe we have entirely too many of these what I call mama called preachers in pulpits all over America. I am, I am a preacher because it is not of men, but it is of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was called to preach, my father looked at me and he said, son, I want to give you some good advice. And my dad was a wonderful preacher of the gospel, called of God. He said, if you can do anything else and be happy, I want you to go do it. But he said, if you are really called of God, you cannot stay away from ministry. You have to be involved in ministry. Now, a lot of people look at me and they say, well, now you're a CEO. That's my title. But if you ask my staff, they will tell you that I'm the pastor to about 375 missionaries. They will tell you that I'm their pastor many times. And I try to correct them because I want them to be involved in a local church. But every week, week in and week out, I am speaking, I am sharing the Word of God, I am preaching and sharing the Word of God, and I will tell you that, that while I bear the title of CEO of Agape Flights, that does in no way describe really what I do and what I've been called to do. And I will tell you that for much of my life in pastoring and preaching the gospel, I do that with such enthusiasm and such, such great excitement because God called me. You didn't. My mom didn't. My dad didn't. God called me. The call of God is irrevocable. You can't get away from it. Now, can you harm your call? Can you, can you become disqualified? Certainly. Certainly. 
But ladies and gentlemen, Paul defends his ministry in this salutation, and then he defends his message. Look at how he greets these Galatians. There is no word of thanksgiving. There is no prayer on their behalf. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, that's pretty normal offering for Paul. We know those words describe the very essence of what salvation is all about. We are saved by grace, amen? And when saved, we receive peace with God in our lives. But not only does grace and peace describe salvation, it should describe the Christian life, how it is lived. Some of you got grace and peace, and then you got turmoil because you won't live in the grace and peace. That was free, by the way. That wasn't in my notes. But it describes how the Christian life is lived. Let me ask you a question. You cannot operate a car without gas and oil, unless you've got a Tesla, I know. Neither can you live the Christian life without the grace of God and the peace of God in daily provision, in daily supply. We are saved by grace. We are dependent upon the grace of God every day in our lives. I was at that marriage seminar last night, and this guy was, he was kind of funny, but he was kind of corny. He said, what do you get when you get a vegan and a vegetarian in a fuss? They're in a beef, aren't they? <laughs> okay, I got you back anyway. Look at this. Paul writes to these Galatian believers who he personally had led to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them he wants them to remember, I won you. I, I brought you personally to, to faith. I, I, there was a great sacrifice. One of the places Paul was ministering was a place called Lystra. And it was at Lystra that Paul was stoned. And he was drugged out of the city and he was left there for dead, ladies and gentlemen. Paul paid a tremendous personal price to bring the gospel to them, to win them to the Lord. So Paul is writing this letter, and he's deeply interested. And so as he greets these believers, he defends his message. He shows them again the centerpiece of the gospel, what it is. Look at verse 3. Grace, and, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, this is the very essence of the gospel message. Don't miss this. You and I are saved because of what is recorded in verse 4. There you have the finished work of Jesus in our salvation. Notice this about the finished work of Christ. The first thing I noticed in verse 4, that the work of Christ was voluntary. Paul says that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Don't you ever think that Jesus was a martyr? Don't you ever think that somehow they forced him? He, yes, could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done. He had all power. But listen to me. Voluntarily, he looked beyond the cross and he saw what would happen as a result. And he also knew that he was the only sacrifice. There were not many sons of God. There was one, the begotten of the Father. And so when you read this, you have to go to Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. They did not drag Jesus kicking and screaming up Calvary's hill. Jesus died voluntarily. He gave himself. But not only was it voluntarily, it was vicarious. Notice that little preposition there, for our sins. That word means in the place of. Jesus was my substitute. Jesus was your substitute. Jesus was dying in our place. Jesus was dying where you and I should have died. We should have been on that cross. Those thorns should have been on my brow. Those nails should have been in my hands. That spear should have been thrust into my side. He gave himself for my sin and for yours. We were standing before God, the judge, unspeakable of guilty uh, uh, guilty of unspeakable crimes. We are worthy of death, yet the Lord Jesus Christ in a magnanimous love steps before the judge, his own father, God, the creator, and he says, I love them. Father, I will take their place. I will die for them. That's what the gospel is all about. It is good news that Jesus died voluntarily. It is even better news that Jesus died vicariously. He gave himself a ransom for our sins, but it is even more wonderful news that he died victoriously. Look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age? The present evil age. This is the Bible's description of the world in which we live. Pretty apt, isn't it? The world as it is now. <sighs> Did you ever think, I didn't, growing up that I would be listening to such conversations on cable news and on the regular news about lifestyles and about things that at one time and by the way, the Bible still calls sin, sin. Amen. It's amazing what we call morality these days. And I know some of you getting real nervous because you think a pastor cannot get political. No, but he can stay biblical. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to stay biblical. Ladies and gentlemen, when Paul wrote the present evil age, Scripture is saying we are living in a world that is aggressively evil. Don't think for one moment this world is getting better because it's not. And, and please, please understand this. Please do not walk out here saying, oh man, pastor just wants to, wants to ignore the world. No, I believe because of this aggressive evilness that is going on, it gives us a greater opportunity to be light and to be salt in a world that needs to see light and needs to taste salt and needs to see something that is real instead of something that is superficial. There is a clear delineation now. If you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ or if you're just kind of floating along as a church member, again, it got really quiet, I know. But, but in this introduction, Paul wants us to understand who gave himself to deliver the 
The word there means to rescue. It is basically saying to us that salvation is a rescue operation. Jesus Christ rescued us as he died for us on Calvary's cross. So in this introduction, in this salutation, he defends his ministry, he defends his message, but there's a second part that I want us to get to very quickly. Not only this defensive salutation, but in this second part, he tells us about a dangerous situation. Look at verse 6. Paul says, For I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The word astonished there means I am dumbfounded. You ever been dumbfounded? Yeah. Do you know, do you know that a strong Bible-believing church is just one pastor away from apostasy? So Paul discusses the danger which these Galatian believers face and which we face today. It is a twofold danger. There's a danger, first of all, of perverting the grace of Christ. The word deserting there is a present tense verb in the Greek language. It means you are deserting. It meant that they were already in the process. Paul is trying to stop the situation before it comes to actual completion. The word deserting is a military term in the Greek language. It was used of a turncoat. Someone in the process of turning away from the true grace of Jesus Christ, deserting the grace of Christ. Paul says there are two ways to desert the grace and the gospel of God. The first is turning the grace of God into, into uh, lavishness, uh, of being, uh, being too lavish. In other words, uh, I am saved and it doesn't matter how I live. Oh, yes, it does. Paul didn't say that it doesn't matter how you live. Uh, you know, m many times I've had people say, well, hey, pastor, I, I was saved. I was baptized. I can live any way I want to. I've got the grace of God in my life. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's turning the grace of God into something it was not. But then the other way you turn away from the grace of Christ is to turn it into legalism. That's the second danger that Paul talked about was the danger of perverting the gospel, listen to what he says, and are turning to a different gospel. Now look at verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's gospel was salvation by grace through faith alone, plus or minus nothing. The false teacher's gospel was salvation by grace through faith plus works. The gospel means what? Good news. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, good news. There you go. The good news is that the news that Christ has done it all for us. Say, what do you mean, Pat? Any departure from that message is a perversion of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was writing 2,000 years ago. And right now, in 2020, there are gospel perverters. There are Judaizers out there, twisters of the gospel of God. They are corruptors of the word of God. They are insulters of the spirit of God. There is one gospel, one gospel. It is the same gospel that John the Baptist preached when he said, Behold, 
the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It is the same gospel that Jesus preached when he said, God so loved, so agape the world that he gave his one and only Son. It is the same gospel that Paul preached. It is the same gospel that I've been preaching now for well over 40 years. And it is the same gospel that we preach right here at First Bradenton. We preach Christ. You put anything else to that and you have polluted it, ladies and gentlemen. I know a place not far from here, right down Manatee Avenue, that I like to go every once in a while because they have a chocolate milkshake there that I absolutely love. They also have cheeseburger and fries. I think it's called the Shake Pit. In fact, I know it's called the Shake Pit. My wife has noticed that since I've come back here and I'm here sometimes during the week that, that I will go there and use my debit card. What are you drinking or eating there, Alan? None of your business, Jennifer. I'm having my devotional. And it was good. <laughs> well, what if, what if I'd say to everybody in here today, let's, after church, the pastor's treat, let's just go down and I'll buy you a milkshake. Would you go? Okay. I could depend on all of you. But I want you to know, just before I give you that, I'm going to drop a, a couple of drops of cyanide in each of your milkshakes. Not many, just one or two drops into your milkshake. Would you drink it? No, you wouldn't drink it. It's polluted, isn't it? Listen to what Paul said. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The word accursed there is the word anathema, which literally means let him be damned. Paul's opponents thought he was too narrow-minded. They wanted him to be broad-minded. Let me ask you, when you go to the pharmacy, do you want a narrow-minded druggist who will fill your prescription to the letter of the doctor's prescription when you go to the bank, do you want a broad-minded banker who says, don't worry about your deposit, I'll put something in your account, and then share the rest with someone else? When you come, listen, to the church, do you want a preacher who will not compromise the gospel and the truth of God's word? I agree with Paul. It's the blood-bought way. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Don't mix it up with anything else. It is dangerous. Many years ago, there was a lady with a baby, and they were traveling by train. There was a terrific storm outside. It was up in the northern part of the United States. The wind was blowing. The snow was falling. The lady seemed to be a bit uneasy about her place to get off of the train, and so she just quietly and very discreetly said to the conductor, will you be sure and tell me when my stop comes I have some friends that are waiting on me and my child, and would you be sure and not forget to tell me? And he said, I'll, I'll come and tell you when we get to your station stop, ma'am. When the conductor 
left, the man sitting across from this lady he said, ma'am, I overheard what you said to the conductor, and I, I know the route quite well. Conductors get busy. He will probably forget, so I'll be sure that you get off at the right stop. So in just a little while, sure enough, the train stopped, and no conductor, and the man said, see, I told you. He forgot. This is where you get off. And so the lady and her little infant baby got off the train, and the train moved on. About an hour later, the train stopped once again, and the conductor came back and said, where, where is the lady who was sitting here, sir? He said, oh, you forgot to tell her that she was supposed to get off, and so I got her off at the right place. The conductor said, at, at the right place? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, the last stop. He said, no, we made an emergency stop back there. This is where she stops and should get off. You have let her off in the cold and in the snow. And the, they backed that train up all the way where there the lady got off. And they found that she was hovering over the baby, both frozen and lifeless in the snow. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is dangerous to get the wrong information. If you are in this building today, if you're within the listening of my voice, if you're watching this, if somehow you have gained a recording of this time that we've had together, and you have never trusted Christ alone to be your personal Savior, the right information is this. God loves you. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on a cross so that you might be rescued. He was and is your only substitute. He died so that you might be saved. But oh, he rose again so that you might be justified freely and so that you might have life and have it more abundantly, not only in heaven, but right now. Repent of your sin and trust him alone so that you might receive the unmerited grace, but the favorable grace of God. I am so glad that I get to preach this kind of message because I could give you a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts and they wouldn't matter one thing because it is in Christ alone my hope is found. I want to ask you this morning, in a personal kind of way, do you have that confidence? Do you have that assurance today? We're going to sing a song that I absolutely love. It's an old hymn. It's called, It Is Well. It is well. It is well with my soul. But I want to say to you this morning, if you can't say it as well, then now's the time to be able to walk away from this place today saying, I found Jesus. Jesus found me, actually. I have Christ, and now I have his grace. How do I do that, Pastor? I simply come into him and saying, Lord, you've already wooed me. You've already brought me to this place. It's no coincidence you're here this morning. You've already brought me to this place, and I receive you. I want you. I trust Christ alone. Forgive me of my sin. 
and make me this new creature. And here's the assurance of God's word, not Alan's word. He will do exactly what he said he would do. He will give you abundant life. I told you last week, I'm a recovering sinner. By the way, if you didn't know it, so are you. And in that recovering process, Christ has made all the provision for my recovery. It's not in me that I'm trusting. It's not in anything I'm going to do. It's not because I preach. It's not because I run a, a ministry. No. It's in Christ and Christ alone. Bow your heads with me.